Well, please take your Bibles again and open to Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and such. Kids, I think I'm going to amaze you right now with, uh, by telling you that I, just like Noah, I once built a boat. It's true. I built a boat with my dad when I was about 14 years old. Uh, we built the boat down in the basement. It took us about three years because we hadn't built anything like that before. We had big blueprints, and uh, we were partway into the project when I said, hey, Dad, I don't think it's going to get out the door. Uh, we were building it in a large part of the basement, and he's like, no, no, it'll be fine. And next day, I'm like, Dad, I really don't think it's going to get out the door. That was about my, this was my huge contribution to the project. Sure enough, we like lifted it up. We tried to get it out the door. There was no way to get it out the door. We thought about removing the stairs. There was no, we had to take the boat apart uh, to get the boat out of the basement. Which means, had there been a flood in my neighborhood my boat would have provided no rescue. Uh, not only could you not get it out of my basement, but it was a two-seater, so it wouldn't have been like just me and mom, I guess, or something like that. Thankfully, God's rescue craft uh, brought about a perfect rescue. It enabled a complete rescue. It was the ark of salvation. And in one sense, that ark that Noah built is get ready for this, it's really a picture, a metaphor, um, like an image of God Himself. It's telling us something about God Himself. God is the ark of our salvation. So Noah's story here that we've just read in its entirety, it shows off these things about um, God our Savior, that first of all, He's the initiator of our salvation. Secondly, he's the sustainer. He, he keeps us in our salvation. And probably most importantly, that God himself is the goal, the end goal, the, the, the terminus, what we're aiming for in our salvation. And so, I'd like to show you these things uh, from the account. Genesis chapter 6, you can look at verse 8 as we begin. And, and I'll remind you that we saw last week that God being the initiator of our salvation, this is an expression of God's grace because salvation is based on grace. Uh, in chapter 6 and verse 8, Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of God. And we alluded to the New Testament that tells us, Ephesians chapter 2, by grace you have been saved. God showed undeserved, unmerited, unworked for, unearned favor to Noah in order to save Noah. And this is, again, caught up by the New Testament authors. Paul writes to Titus in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. So not by us doing a lot of things. Even if we could do righteous works, they could never buy salvation because salvation is not something that can be bought. It is a gift. The word grace means gift. That's why Paul says later in the same passage, Titus 3, 7, we are justified by his grace, by his gift. It is, it's all free, it's all unearned, it's all his gift. So when we put these things together, we begin to see that Noah did righteous acts because he was saved. He wasn't saved because he did righteous acts. That order is vitally important. 
the, the good things that Noah did here were a result of God's work of grace in his life. Noah was the last man standing because God made sure there was a last man standing. Apart from the grace of God, all humanity would have been destroyed in the flood. Without God's gracious intervention, all humankind would have been lost. So God is the initiator of our salvation. God's the one who intervenes. He gives grace to Noah. He calls Noah out of darkness, and and he gives grace to Noah, and Noah is saved. But salvation is not uh, just based on grace, right? It's, It's also based on God's provision. And so this initiation of God, uh, you see this in his provision. Look at chapter 6 again, verse 13. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. We just read about that in verses 11 and 12. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. I'm going to use the elemental principles to destroy them. Verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. So you get this messaging from God. I'm bringing a day of judgment. I'm going to destroy creation. And you, you need to do something. You need to build a barge before that happens. Now, I think it's really vital to see the ordering of these things. God announces that judgment is coming. That's the what. And then he gives the why. He explains why judgment is coming. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna flood the earth, that's the what, and then the why, because all mankind is corrupt and filling the earth with violence, that's the why. And then he gives a how. God provides the way to survive the judgment, and the how is very specific to Noah. He says, Noah, build a barge, get in the barge, stock the barge, load it with livestock, one pair each of the unclean animals, seven pairs each of the clean animals, in other words, God comes to Noah and he, and he gives him the how. Here's how to be saved, Noah. Here's what you must do in order to be saved. And I think that's important to notice because we can't ever think of salvation by God's grace and, and salvation based on God's provision as meaning that you don't have to do anything, that you just sit back and do nothing, that you just wait to be zapped from heaven. God provides Noah with instructions. He says, here's how to be saved. And and look at what you see repeated all through this narrative. Chapter 6, verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 5. Noah did all that Yahweh commanded him. Verses 7 and 9. Noah went into the ark. Verse 9, just as God had commanded him. And you can read that and think, well, that's normal. That seems like the right thing to do until you remember that it had never rained before. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 5, what do you read there? When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. And it seems like there had been no rain, that this was God's uh, irrigation system for the land for perhaps centuries, well, certainly centuries if the timeline uh, aligns correctly. So here you've got Noah, who's being told to build a large 
barge in a desert when it's never rained before. That sounds to me like faith. Faith. Acting on what God has revealed, even when it doesn't look like it particularly makes sense. Sometimes it may look like foolishness to the world to obey God. But faith is not controlled by the world's opinions. If you were controlled by the world's opinions, you never would have had faith in Jesus Christ. This is caught up by the author to the Hebrews. He says in Hebrews 11 and verse 7, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Okay, that's the what. There's a judgment coming. By faith, Noah, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Salvation is by grace, but Noah had to obey. Noah had to act. Noah had to exercise faith, and you need to obey as well. What good does it do you to drown with the blueprints for an ark in your hand? The judgment is coming. Here's the way to escape. Do nothing. Friend, the judgment is coming. The final judgment is coming. God has revealed how to be saved, and you would be most foolish of all if you were to go through that judgment with all that knowledge, having never repented and believed on Christ. If you know the gospel and you don't act on the gospel, if you don't obey the gospel, then you would be like Noah getting blueprints for the ark and doing nothing about it. It says in Hebrews eleven seven, 7, he did this in reverent fear. This means he feared, the, he feared God more than he feared the opinions of men. Never rained before. You're in the middle of a desert. You're building a barge, probably something nobody's ever seen before. And, you're, and everybody's going on. What, what did Jesus say? They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. They were buying and they were selling. Everybody's just going on with life, but there's Noah who's living by faith in the promise of God. You've got to build the boat, friend. Yes, salvation is all of grace, but no one is saved apart from repentance and faith. And you have to repent. You have to have faith. You can't wait for God to just strike you with some heavenly bolt of lightning to change you. You must believe. You must repent. God has warned you that there's coming a day of judgment. He has told you how to be saved by believing on his son, the Lord Jesus. Have you done it? The Bible never ever says, wait passively for God to do something in you. The Bible says, flee from the wrath to come. Flee from the wrath to come. Are you running away from sin? Are you running toward Jesus Christ? When a storm comes, even the best anchored buoy can't, it can be broken loose and and lost at sea. God is not telling you to be like that buoy to just sort of hold on and wait and see if you can make it through the storm. He's saying you're, you're supposed to be a motorboat. Point your boat away from the storm. Point your boat toward the harbor, the harbor of Melchizedek, read Hebrews 6, and, and get some safe harbor there. Run to Jesus, the greater Melchizedek, run to Jesus, get your boat in his harbor, he will keep you through the storm. God is the initiator of our salvation, but this never means we are passive. 
The second thing you'll notice in this account of Noah and his boat is that God is the sustainer of our salvation. First, all the animals into the boat, then his family, finally Noah into the ark, and, and did you notice who closed the door? Look at chapter six, or rather chapter seven, verse 16. The last sentence there, the Lord, Yahweh, shut him in. The Lord shut him in. God warned, Noah obeyed, and God closed the deal. How would an ark with an open door survive a flood? Answer, it wouldn't, because the waters would enter and it would sink. Noah needed God to close the door. God closed the door and he hid his people in safety, in a safe place. Look at chapter 8, verse 15. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and uh, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. The, the apostle Peter, he, he kind of riffs on this in his letter, 1 Peter, and he's, he's reflecting on, on how Noah going through the waters of judgment is, is pictured in Christian baptism. For when a person is put under the water and brought up again safely out of the water, Peter says this is a picture. When a person repents and believes on Christ, their first act of obedience, the first thing you are to do as a new Christian is to be baptized, which means you're immersed in the water, you're brought up again. And the imagery, the imagery of that is that you've, you've gone into the waters of judgment, just like the whole earth went into the waters of judgment. But unlike the rest of humanity, you are brought up out of those waters of judgment. Peter says, that's like Noah and the eight in the ark. You come through the judgment safely. Noah was saved when God shut him in the ark. But Noah had to go through the day of judgment. He had to go through the flood. He had to go through God's judgment. Yes, he was saved when he was put into the ark, but he had to go through the waters of judgment. Do you know in the instructions, the blueprints that God gives for the ark, there is no rudder. There's no way to steer. There's no steering wheel. It's just a floating box. This means that God had to sustain his people. They were totally dependent upon him. After the heavens open and the rains fall, after the deep bursts forth and the waters rise and, and it prevails over the face of the earth and destruction is complete, we read in chapter 8 and verse 1 these words, but God remembered Noah. He remembered him. This does not imply that God is forgetful. That God's, you know, really busy doing the flood. And it's like, oh yeah, Noah, where did he float off to? <laughs> no, the remember language here in the Old Testament is the language, the vocabulary of covenant. 
that God has kept covenant with Noah, that God remembers him. He's going to keep his promise to him. God is choosing to to keep his promise, to see it through. And so once the flood has done its work and all living things have been destroyed, God is the one who sends the wind to begin to cause the waters to recede. So it is God who closes the door. It is God who steers the vessel. It's God who docks the boat on the mountaintop. God is the sustainer of our salvation. He's the one who brings it about. God brought them all safely through the judgment. We already read how the day came when they came out of the ark. They were, everybody in the ark came out again. Friend, I know I keep saying it, but there is another day of judgment coming. And you are going to live through that day. You don't cease to exist when you physically die. You may get COVID of the worst kind and die but your eternal soul will be alive in the day of judgment. A day of judgment far more searching, far more severe than this great flood. And the only way to go through the day of judgment, the only way to travel across that day of judgment is to be hidden in the ark. Can you say that my life is hidden in Christ with God? This is Paul's language in Colossians 3.3. You see, in one sense, Jesus is the ark of our salvation. Not a wooden barge to get us through a year-long flood, but rather the eternal Son of God pierced on a wooden cross when he bore an eternal flood of God's just wrath for you just so he could get you into an eternity with him forever, safely through the day of judgment. When all humanity stands on that great day, the sheep go here, the goats go there. Are you one of the sheep? Everyone lives through that day. Do you live through that day hidden in the ark who is Christ? Or do you live through that day under the flood of mighty waters? God is the sustainer of our salvation. He's the initiator. He's the sustainer. Thirdly, he is the goal of our salvation. If you were listening as we read through the narrative, you might have heard some familiar language. Chapter 8, verse 17 be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Chapter 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Chapter 9, verse 6, there's image and likeness language. Chapter 9, verse 7, and you, like y'all, it's the plural, y'all be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. What does that sound like? Sounds like creation language, doesn't it? Go back to chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Noah... Noah is really a second Adam, isn't he? Placed into a new world, a re-creation. A new creation with a new Adam and a new covenant with a new sign. Kids, do you know what the sign of Noah's covenant was? I bet you do. 
It was a rainbow. A rainbow. You know, uh, soldiers might have a sword, or they might have a spear, or they might have a bow with which they can shoot arrows. And it could be that God chose the imagery of a bow as if to say, this instrument of my wrath, my bow, I'm going to hang it up now. There's peace. No more floods. The rainbow. Chapter 9, he says in verse 8, God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the cloud. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. What's going on here, this creation language and the bow hanging in the sky? This is really the great do-over. God's starting everything again, sort of. Because look at the last verse of chapter 9. And all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. And as you keep reading, you find out his sons died, and their sons died, and their sons died, and we die. Floods don't wash sins away, which means that you and I are awaiting another, a better recreation. It it turns out that this recreation, this Noahic recreation, is only pointing to a greater recreation, which Peter talks about in 2 Peter 13 of chapter 3, but according to his promises, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. If you are hidden, If you are safely stowed away in that greater ark, the Lord Jesus, he is going to carry you through the judgment day, but he's going to bring you into a new creation, a new earth where he will dwell with you forever. There will be no more sin, no more death, no more judgment, no more pandemics, no more being apart. It's just seeing and being seen. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with Man, he will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That is the goal of our salvation. What happened with Noah only typifies and points forward to what you and I await, the greater day of a new heavens and a new earth when we will see God and not only see God, but be with God forever. 
That boat that I built with my dad in my basement, it floated eventually, but it wasn't enough to save. John Newton wrote a lovely little hymn called The Hiding Place, and he reflects upon the Christian's rescue in reference to the ark, and he says this, you have only to repose, that means kind of lay back and relax, (laughs) you have only to repose on my wisdom, love, and care, where my wrath consumes my foes, mercy shall my children spare. While they perish in the flood, you that bear my holy mark, sprinkled with atoning blood, shall be safe within the ark. But friend, if you are not hidden in Christ, if you are not hidden in that greater ark, I urge you to come to him now. Newton continues in his hymn, sinners, see the ark prepared. Haste to enter while there's room. Though the Lord, his arm is bared, mercy still holds back your doom. Seek him while there is yet hope, ere the day of grace be past. Lest in wrath he give you up. And this call should prove your last. There's room today. Get into the ark before he closes the door. Let's pray together. Our Father, how we thank you for Jesus, our great Savior. We rest in him, the one who initiated our salvation, the one who will sustain us through the day of judgment and bring us to the ultimate goal of our salvation, which is you. Nothing, no one, can interfere with you and your plan. So we rest fully confident in you, our Savior, and pray in your name. Amen.